0: Welcome to the Transformational Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Hannah Anam. My mission is to help you lead more effectively and be an agent of positive change in times of disruption. On this podcast, we interview practitioners and leadership experts and have coaching exercises that you can apply immediately to your work challenges. Together, we learn how to achieve success and create workplaces in a world that work better for all. Welcome, Richard Boyatzis. Let me introduce you. I'm so excited that you can join us today. Richard Boyatzis is the Distinguished Professor in the Department of Organizational Behavior, Psychology, and Cognitive Science at the Case Western Reserve University. He has authored more than 200 articles. His books include The Competent Manager. He has an international bestseller called Primal of Leadership. And uh, that book he's written with Daniel Goldman and Annie McKee. And then um, his latest book is called Helping People Change. And Richard, I'm so excited um, to have you here today because um, what we're going to talk about today is helping people change and uh, how disruptions can either help people change or not. During disruptive times, we can get into these threat states from a neurobiology perspective. Can you help describe what happens in terms?
1: First of all, um, we enter these threat states every day during disruptive times or not. That the important issue is to appreciate the fact that your body reacts to a threat, regardless of whether it's mild, like your cell phone drops a call, or extreme, like a deadly virus is in the air. That the intensity of the arousal, um, will affect the intensity of the reaction, but the reaction is nonetheless the same. And when that happens, your body goes into the stress response. It's called the sympathetic nervous system. So, what happens is your pulse rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, you start to move uh, unconsciously in thousands of a second, you move blood from capillaries and distal areas including parts of your brain that aren't seen as necessary to survival to your arms and legs to fight or flight and it compromises your immune system your immune system functioning drops precipitously within minutes and any attempt at neurogenesis which is the growth of new neurons which you need to have to keep your adult brain going stops so and, and we have from decades of research uh, a lot of people's research plenty of evidence to show that under the level of stress that we get exposed to normally in everyday life as executives, professionals etc, we are over the limit and we're into an area called strain. when you add to it a horrendous uh, pandemic and the cessation of normal activities, having to sequester, quarantine, or isolate, you now ratchet it up to extreme. And even at the mild everyday level, we are cognitively, perceptually, and emotionally impaired. So when somebody says, I really perform well under stress, they're an idiot, because the human (laughs) body doesn't work that way. Right. So now you have, uh, even if you're not affected, because, you know, the vast majority of the people aren't directly affected by the physiological threat of the virus. More people are affected by the financial or economic, but, but still, it's, it's a small percentage of the population. But the perception that it's out there and the possible threat make it an, an ambiance of threat. And that threat is not gentle. When all this happens, the human organism closes down. There is no other way to describe it. We close down. We are not open to new ideas. We are more vulnerable to messages of hate because we're scared. And we are scared at a deep level. And even if you think, oh, well, I'm okay with this, you know, and I'm on the red wine diet and, you know, things are doing okay. They aren't. Because deep inside, you're on edge. You might find yourself a little more short-tempered with people or impatient. Every scholar I've talked to in the past month and a half is saying the same thing I'm experiencing. We have articles that are in process, and it's very hard for us to concentrate enough to really do creative work. All of that are signs that you're under stress. And that's assuming you don't have... A whole lot of little kids you're trying to homeschool on top of work and all the rest of these things. So I would say uh, yes, the current crisis creates the stress effect, which is hormonally driven. Now the neurological parts of it are that because the hormones take over, they activate, they continue to reinforce the kind of parts of the brain that close you down to other ideas.
0: So would you talk about then, um, obviously these are times also that we exactly need to come up with <laughs> right. ways to be creative, right? Um, uh, ways to be kinder to one another. Um, and so.
1: Very few people can lower stress. You, you might be able to avoid a few things, but the thing you want to do is introduce more what we call in our writing for shorthand renewal activities. Technically, it's activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. It's the only thing in our bodies that can allow us to ameliorate the effect of stress.
0: And how do you do that?
1: Well, that's one where there are a number of techniques that you can do by yourself. And people have been writing about it, but the science on this is very, very clear. Meditation helps. Yoga helps. Tai Chi helps, um, prayer helps if it's to a loving God, mild exercise helps, and a variety of other activities like feeling hopeful about the future, which is almost impossible if you listen to the news these days or um, think about what's going on. So, and, and then you have a set of categories, not only under hope that could help, but also under compassion. Caring for those that are less fortunate, being in a loving relationship, spending your time talking with each other if you have a spouse or partner, spending time talking with your children—not just have they done their homework, but what are they thinking about? Um, Had they noticed the new birds that are around? Given that it's spring.
0: Yeah. So so, so moving your attention deliberately, it sounds like.
1: Oh Do yeah. So so the uh, and. It. Right. The other two activities that are that have been proven to activate these parasympathetic nervous system states are humor, laughter, joy, and playfulness, and a walk in the woods.
0: Beautiful. Which Beautiful. is
1: convenient because it's also social distancing. So, yeah. so the point is that there are a lot of things you can do, and um, people make the mistake that thinking that just talking about how you're feeling with others will help. It may help you not feel as isolated, but it's not going to help ameliorate the stress. You actually have to shift the conversation from, oh, isn't this horrible and whatever, to, wow, I I found a place that can deliver margaritas to me. And by the way, having a dog or cat, horse or monkey, depending upon where you live, (laughs) also have been proven to help activate this parasympathetic nervous system. Getting in the sun helps, even if you are only 15 or 20 minutes because it helps to activate some vitamin D and Perfect. melatonin, which helps people's moods.
0: Tell me a little bit about what happens when the parasympathetic nervous system, what actually ah. happens in Laban terms in the brain, body, right. and nervous system.
1: The feeling that you have is most simply described as a sense of elation. You feel calm. I know in Eastern activities, they talk about being centered, but that's exactly how you feel. You feel Mm. like the noise has gone away and uh, you may feel a sense of calm. You know, if people are a little more spiritual, they see, well, I feel oneness. Mm.
0: Um,
1: But it could be as simple as feeling at ease. Mm. Uh, like all of a sudden, you realize you're not scared or threatened or depressed.
0: so give me based on science um, Richard, like if you had to just pick one thing that you know for a fact based on science research that right. somebody can can do immediately that's within well, me, their control right. to shift their state of being from let the, me give,
1: right, let me give you two things yeah, one, you do by yourself within yourself, which is deep breathing. Slow, slow. If you deep breathe fast, it's hyperventilating, it goes either way. But slow deep breathing is phenomenal.
0: Okay, great.
1: Second is what's often referred to as gratitude journaling. In other words, think about, and better even if you write, once a day for 15 minutes, what you're thankful for or to whom are you thankful for who you are or what you've become in your life. It, it's amazing how powerful that is. Um, and the idea, I mean, most religions, my Islamic friends have it all over the rest of us because they really do try to pray, do all five of their prayers at least three times a day. Every Christian, Jewish, and Hindu sect, asks you to pray twice a day, but we don't. So the idea is to come up with a routine that allows you the different times during the day to interrupt the other stuff. So it's far better to do a number of 15-minute doses of these things, these renewal activities, throughout the day than to try to do an hour and a half all at once.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. So let's shift topic um, because... From what I'm hearing from my clients, so many of um, the leaders that are in charge of leading people um, are trying to figure out how can I best serve my people at this time and also make sure that there's a lot of problems to be solved. Right. And as you said, our, our cognitive cognitively creatively were compromised during threat states. Right. Um, what advice do you have for leaders that are leading people? And well in lower threat state for their people
1: right in, in our new book Helping People Change, we talk about on the basis of these 30 last 30 years of research on neuro neuro, re, neuro research neuroscience and hormonal and behavioral that we really want to bring people into what I call the positive emotional attractor state, which is this parasympathetic particular um, neural network called the empathic network. And the easiest way to get people to solve problems is to not address the problems first. First, go to something that activates this positive emotional attractor. So if you're in a, Management meeting, one thing is to check in even for a few minutes. One thing is to share some humor. Another thing is to talk about the overall purpose, the long term deep purpose of the organization. Why are we doing what we're doing? Let's remember that. And it sounds a little hokey to say, why do you have to repeat it? Because when people are in a threat position, we know their peripheral vision drops from 180 down to 30 degrees. People lose sight of the big picture, reminding them. There are a number of those kinds of things. In addition, it's not a bad exercise to ask people to be cognitively playful. So to begin by saying, you know, there are all sorts of things going on in the environment right now with different ways people are accessing products like ours. What are the possibilities that we might see that might really be useful in a year? It's like the discussion you and I were having earlier about what's going to happen as a result of, you know, what's the new normal a year from now?
0: Yeah. Well, and what happens then, you know, you're, you're starting to have people imagine I, you know, that's and it, that's, that's it.
1: Yeah. You did it right then. You shifted your eyes in a way that says you were going into a part of your brain that lets you imagine. So by opening up possibilities, by allowing people to what I would call intellectually play, you get into this positive zone. Then you could say, you know, uh, we've got a delivery issue that we really have to address in this meeting. Can we shift now? Then you've got people ready to address the problem but with a much more open and capable mind.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. What are some really good science-backed habits that we can create to learn more, to grow more, to become more adaptive um, during these times? Because disruption is going to stay, maybe not in this form. But But there'll be new ones. There will be new ones.
1: What you want to do on the reflection is ask, what's my purpose? You know, what are the the core values I really believe in? Mm. Um, What kind of person do I want to be when I interact with people next week, next month? So what you're doing in my language, in my theory, is in the way we write about it in the book, you're helping a person um, reinvigorate and update their personal vision. What do I want out of life? What kind of person do I want to be in the long-term future? Not goals. It turns out that goals activate the kind of part of the analytic brain, which closes you down. So you want to emphasize the big picture, the purpose, uh, the vision, the dream, and not worry about how you're going to get there yet. You do have to get to that step, but... In, while you're in this kind of a moment of crisis, you want to use it as a way to step back.
0: So now let's take the perspective of the leader right. um, for their team. What are some great questions that a leader can ask their team to or work with in their team to help um, help co-create a sense right. of purpose for the team or help them think about their own purpose?
1: Many of us, I, I've been saying this since the, uh, actually, the late 70s, that our, the quality of our relationships determine whether or not we're able to bring our capabilities out and use them.
0: Mm, that's so a beautiful People have,
1: people have yeah, thank you, people have long misunderstood. They think just having these internal, whether you call them competencies or traits or whatever, um, these capabilities is enough. It isn't. In 2007, coming out of my last year-long sabbatical, I really zeroed in on what I thought were three of the relationship characteristics that activated the parasympathetic nervous system, that activated renewal. And they are shared vision, shared compassion, and shared energy. And with a bunch of doctoral students and now former doctoral students, we've done, I don't know, 36, 40 studies, about a little more than half of which have been published, showing that if you assess the degree of shared vision or shared caring and compassion, you actually see a lot of these individual capabilities um, amplify in having a dramatic effect on engagement, innovation, adaptability, effectiveness. So what does that mean to a normal person? What you want to do is work on shared vision and shared compassion. So, and you don't do them at the same time, but shared vision starts off with this question I was just saying at the individual level, what's our purpose? You can do the same thing within any organization. What are we trying to do? So as as a professor, as an educator, this is the moment to ask, even in faculty meetings right now where we're remote and everybody's saying, oh my God, I've never taught remotely. What do I do? I think it's very helpful to all of a sudden to say, oh, what? What's our purpose as professors? Beautiful. You know, what's our purpose with students? And then people start to say, well, to help students get excited. Excited about what? Well, we want them to be curious. We want them to feel excited about the future. And as you start to talk about that, literally you find yourself lifting because you're having this renewal parasympathetic response. Perfect. Once you talk about that for a while, then you go into, well, now we're teaching remotely. What can we do that might help improve our students' retention? Not just mimicking back, but retention, true learning. I think the same thing can happen in every organization. Um, How are you helping your your market, your customers get to where they want to go, become the people they want to do? How are you helping your staff? How are you helping the people that you buy from, your vendors? How are you helping the community? And this gives you a chance. In a sense, it's an excuse to do what you should have been doing all along, but you haven't, okay, so now do it. And then when you get into the budgets and supply chain issues and all of the logistics, you're going at it with a little bit different context. We say the mental context or framework, you know, whether you call it a mindset or an approach um, is very important. And we now have plenty of data, neurological data, to show that if you frame what you're doing as problem-solving, you limit the openness to new ideas and how creative you can be.
0: And And on the other hand, you're framing this not as problem-solving. You're framing this from the perspective of purpose.
1: That's right. That's right. And then you get to the problem-solving. So I'm not saying the problems aren't important. Of course they are.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So those are some of the things... Um,
0: Can you you share a little bit more? I'm really curious about, you said it's shared purpose, shared compassion, and shared energy. And we talked a bit about shared purpose. Can you talk about shared compassion and shared energy?
1: Shared compassion is, in normal language terms, really caring for each other, both caring for others and feeling cared for. The reason that the check-in Time ends up being important in meetings these days is because remote interaction is more alexithemic than normal face-to-face interaction. That means a lot of emotional expression is not observed or picked up that you would if we were sitting, if you and I were sitting across the table from each other, we'd be getting a lot more information about how each other feels. Mm. To make up for that, you have to do some things that can help people do that. And since any electronic means can easily become very preoccupied with tasks, so the emotional check-in at the beginning of a meeting, you know, maybe modeling it by telling a funny story of something that just happened or, uh, you know, an anecdote you heard. And then later on, um, making sure that each individual in your team that reports to you feels that you're staying on top of what they're dealing with. Mm. I I mean, it can be as simple as you checking in with that person, one of them later and says, how's your eight-year-old, Karen? You know, how is she doing with this homeschooling?
0: Yeah. It just says
1: to somebody, you know, you're noticing who I am, what my life is about.
0: Beautiful. And now shared energy. Tell me about that.
1: Well, that one, that one is um, a little more complicated, but here's an interesting thing. I, uh, and let me use the example as a professor. I feel that one of the things that I'm doing is trying to get my students excited.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm trying to get them excited about ideas and each other and helping and all this. I, it's almost impossible for me to do that if I'm sitting down. It's almost impossible if I'm not excited. It's almost impossible if I'm quiet. It's almost impossible if um, we're talking about abstractions. So part of what I recognized decades ago is that my energy level infects other people. That's true. And what we need to be able to do in our relationships is help each other.
0: Richard, thank you so much. I learned so much in this time, and I'd love for our community to learn more from you and continue to learn from you. What else um, can you share that where people can follow you? What is our
1: latest book, you know yes. uh, Helping People Change. It's available on Amazon um, by myself and Melvin Smith and Ellen Van Osten. And then we have the free option or almost free option if you want to do it over a number of weeks of two MOOCs on Coursera. Um, The first one is Inspiring Leadership Through Emotional Intelligence, and the second on coaching or helping is Conversations That Inspire. Uh, We even have an app that hopefully will be released uh, somewhere in about eight months that's based on the book.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, always Thank you, learn Hannah. so much from you. And I just love the fact that you're able to take all of this wonderful brain science and make it uh, approachable and accessible for all of us that are curious about it, but don't want a PhD in it. <laughs> just right, right. It,
1: it's what Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda meant when they said, may the force be with you.
0: I love that. <laughs> and may the force be with you, Dr. Boyatzis. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Hannah. Thank you so Thank much. You.
0: <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Hannah Anam. Please rate, comment, and share our podcasts with those you care about. Be the leader who helps others grow and thrive in times of disruption. You can visit our website at www.transformleaders.tv. There, you'll find other great tools to grow your leadership and be a force for good in these times. Until the next time, my friends.